Blog Talk Radio. October 4th, 2013 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. That's the philosophy behind the uniquely American sense of life, the sense of life of those who believe we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of your own individual happiness. I'm your host here. I'm Amy Peikoff, and I just walked in into the studio. Here's cartoonist Bosch Faustin. Welcome, Bosch. He he joins in on the commentary here. If you want to find out what we're going to talk about today, the title of today's show is called Who's in Charge? Go to my blog at DontLetItGo.com for the program notes to today's show. There's links there to all the stories that we're going to talk about, but let's go ahead and get started. I saw a Fox News poll that they've just posted recently, and it says that only 8% of Americans believe that, quote, the people are in charge of the government, end quote. Uh, Moreover, while the Constitution says that the House has the power of the purse, Obama seems to think that they should provide unlimited funding for him to create his egalit- you know, egalitarian utopia. That's what we hear from him in all of his lectures and statements that he's been making during the shutdown. The shutdown's been very convenient for him because yeah. it just allows him to uh, pontificate. Bully pulpit. Again, to- total bully pulpit all this time. So, I mean, you know, they're just supposed to give him his way. They're supposed to... Just pass a clean CR, as they call it. Get the government moving. They're supposed to raise the debt ceiling, and, and then then he'll negotiate. What sort of negotiating power they're supposed to have at that point? Blank out, right? Uh, anyway, one New York Times columnist is even going so far as to urge Obama to ignore the rule of law completely and just unilaterally raise the debt ceiling if the House Republicans demand concessions from him. Also, Bill Clinton is pushing him to do that. Nancy Pelosi, they're setting the stage. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know about you. I find this sort of attitude where we just kind of complacently say, oh, yeah, you know, the government's in charge of the people. The people aren't in charge of the government. That, you know, the president can just spend whatever he wants. The rule of law be damned. I, I find it unacceptable. unacceptable. I do, myself. So this is really kind of the title of the show today. And moreover, we're going to do a lot on the Common Core. We're going to start in on our coverage of Common Core today. And that also has a flavor of who's in charge. The Common Core, for those people who don't know, is a set of educational standards that is being implemented by the federal government. There's a lot of very radical progressive education, educational activists who have had a hand in creating these standards of the Common Core. And, you know, and we're going to start about that, you know, start recently, talking about that today as well. Recently I thought that Bill Ayers, the uh, terrorist Bill Ayers uh, from the Weather Underground, who uh, jump-started Obama's political career in his home, 1995, I, I believe, I smelled him in there somewhere. I knew he would be in there 99.9%, and now we find... Uh, yeah, we find that there's definitely some evidence. He spoke at a conference at which... 
Obama education administration, you know, the Obama administration education people were there speaking at the exact same conference at which they were presenting and rolling out some of the Common Core standards. And, and know, moreover, I think that there was a, an associate, close associate friend of Bill Ayers who's been in charge of a lot of the Common Core this stuff. This is evil. This so. is a, a terrorist. I mean, this is the kind of curriculum that a terrorist would want in the minds of Americans. Keep that in mind. And also a terrorist who, who was involved with a group who killed at least seven Americans. It's, it's on record. This is a terrorist. A murderous terrorist who basically saw something in Obama to uh, basically take out the country from within. So, so he figured, post-terrorism, I'll go politics and education to destroy the country. It's okay. easier that way. So, we'll, so yeah, so we'll definitely be talking about that as well. If you would like to join in on this discussion, go over to BlogTalkRadio.com and join in on the chat if you can. Got you know if you're next to your computer. Also, you can just phone in, 760-888-5817 is the number. Again, that's 760-888-5817 if you would like to chime in on any of the topics. Ed in the chat room is already asking it's who is in fact in charge or who should be in charge. Ed, as we'll see with a Fox News poll, the question was asked in such a way as to elicit a response to the question, who is in fact in charge, but the entire poll, I think, just gives you a uh, kind of evidence that the population is resigned to this fact that that's who is in charge. Uh, in particular, in this Fox News poll, there is a uh, one result that has to do with: Do you think Obamacare, at the, at the end of the day, is going to be the law of the land? That it's going to remain the law of the land? And I think 64% say yes, which is ridiculous only 20 some odd percent that it think it's going to be repealed in significant portion but if you go over to the program notes at don'tletitgo.com you see that before we have that fox news poll there's a couple little items that i wanted to mention first peakoff.com you're going to go there if you're interested in hearing a podcast discussion on immigration between your own brook head of the Ayn Rand institute and leonard peakoff who maybe you do know or don't know, they they disagree or they have disagreed mm-hmm. on the topic of immigration, your own being in favor of open immigration and even uh, immigration reform in today's context, whereas Leonard Peikoff has said, no, in today's context, we shouldn't do it at all. So I think you'd be very interested in that discussion. And I was the moderator I mean, you could you could see how much a role I actually had, and I, I think I did, you know, push the the topic here and there, and ask a few interesting and pointed questions, and help kind of sum up their positions. But th- those two, you know, I think I think they, as you can see, if if you went over to my page, my Don't Let It Go on her page on Facebook, or you follow me on Twitter, you could see the photo oh. after, yeah, afterwards that everybody was still friends. So you can imagine how that discussion went. I think you'll find it very interesting. At least part one of that discussion will be posted this coming Monday at peakoff.com. So go check it out. The other thing I have is a link to Tammy Bruce's site, tammybruce.com. And she had me guest host her show yesterday. And I thought it was a fun show. It broadcasts live or actually it was, you know, live between 10 a.m. and 12 p.m. Pacific time. And then they had a rebroadcast in the evening on TalkStream Live. Other than that, Tammy Bruce's show, her podcasts are available only to her subscribers. She told me as a guest host, I can also share it with the supporters of my show, which I do. So if you want to become a supporter of my show, go to don'tletitgo.com and get some information on that. Uh, Fox News poll. Let's get right in there. So 
it, it's actually over, you know, the headline is all about Obamacare. It says, voters support delaying Obamacare, but oppose defunding it. Whole bunch of stupidity in that headline right there. Uh, first of all, delaying Obamacare, does it really help anything? If all you're doing is delaying it, does it really make it that much better to do that? No. I mean, if you're going to run against Obamacare in the 2014 elections, you may as well let it take effect now. You may as well let it be the disaster that it is. It's not like you're going to, even if you know the Republicans take the Senate in 2014, it's not like Obama is going to sign a piece of legislation that repeals Obamacare in any significant portion. Moreover, there's no way you're going to get a supermajority. Maybe we'll be able to get a majority in the Senate. That would be wonderful. But, you know, and I, I say we. I'm not really a Republican, but I, I, <laughs> I feel more affinity to Republicans these days. And, and part of, you know, the reason why is what we'll see today with the with the Democrats. But in any event, I don't think delaying is going to help that much, a delay for one year. That's kind of ridiculous. And so I'm with Ted Cruz, this idea of supporting any piece of legislation, any continuing resolution that funds one penny to Obamacare is bad, even if it's just for this delay or whatever. These concessions that the Republicans are making make it so whatever they might get at the end of the day is pretty meaningless. Uh, but then if you if you support delaying Obamacare but you oppose defunding it, basically what you're saying is that I want something to happen, but I reject the only means possible by which it could happen. And the only means possible by which any chunk could be taken out of Obamacare is by the House using its power of the purse. We know that the Democrat-led Senate won't budge, as far as we know. Obama doesn't want to budge. They don't want to make any changes to Obamacare, you know, they say, oh, we're open to improving Obamacare after we get our way with the funding. No, there's no way. There is no leverage that the House has, that the Republicans have, except the power of the purse through the House of Congress. So, you know, if you oppose defunding it, then basically you oppose the means to which you would get whatever it is that you want, which is ridiculous. So let, let's go to the poll and the question that actually disturbed me. If you actually go into that Fox News story and go to the link to the actual poll itself, you'll read all the boring questions and answers. They finally now started asking, you know, do you like Ted Cruz or do you not? And there's a whole bunch of people who still don't even know who he is. So I think it's too soon to tell whether Ted Cruz is going to be able to win over the people based on that poll. But here's question 37. Question 37 says, in the United States, the people are supposed to be in charge of the government. What do you think is happening today? So, Ed, as you asked in the chat room, it, really what they are asking is what's going on today. Only 8% in this Fox News poll, and this poll isn't just a bunch of Republicans, you know, being reactionary about this. I think at least 39% of the people who were polled identify themselves as Democrats. Okay, so 8% said the people are in charge of the government. Only 8%. 88% of the people said that the government is in charge of the people. And 4% don't know. What do you think about that, boss? He's just shaking his head. He doesn't even have anything to say. Why? Depressing? Mm. Yeah? Right. Yeah? Right. If you were asked this question, you'd probably answer with the 88%, right? Because they're asking the question as to what do you think is the well, case I, today? 
I would reject it. I would tell why they shouldn't be in control as they want to be. I would try to fight, you know, not reality, but the fact that this is uh, this is not supposed to be this way. And why? That's what I, w- I would say. I wouldn't just say, well, yeah, government charge, that's that. Because then you are, you are resigning yourself to not fighting at all, to not speaking out, to not having podcasts, not having cartoons, not going out there and trying to fight this disgusting position we're in. Um, you have to, you know, and that's, I guess they don't allow for that. It's just yes or no, right? That's that. Yeah, yeah. It has to be so, fought. I mean, so, th- th- this whole notion has to be fought. It can't be accepted and resigned. Well, okay, that's that. Well, in terms then we're going to hell. In terms of the sense of resignation about this fact, you have to go to another one of the questions, right? And so it's the one about, do you think that the Obamacare legislation is ever going to be repealed or anything like that? Now, mind you, when they talk about you know, do you think that Obamacare is good? Most people say it's bad. Um, most people say that they prefer the system, the healthcare system before this. But listen to this. This is an October 1st to 2nd, 2013 poll. Okay, so this is very, very current. It says, in the end, do you believe the healthcare law will be repealed or defunded or will it remain in place? And only 27% say it will be repealed or defunded. 64% say it will remain the law. Now, you might say, okay, well, maybe they are only talking in the short term and they think maybe eventually it will be. But, I mean, they've been going around calling it the law of the land. It's the law of the land. It's the law of the land. As if them pronouncing it means that it's going to be the law of the land for all time. I really enjoy the pun by the representative. Where is he from, Bush? Paul Brown. Paul Brown from House of Representatives. You don't remember what state? Okay. Well, Paul Brown, B-R-O-U-N, in the House of Representatives, calls it the flaw of the land. And it really is. It is the major flaw. So, you know, these people who say, oh, why so much about Obamacare? There's, you know, we need to do all this. It it is the, the big danger right now and the one that they think that they could do something about because people are learning about it, and the more they learn about it, the less popular it is. I think that they should start going after the Common Core in the same way. But I don't think enough Americans know about the Common Core educational standards yet to get that outraged No, about this it. is being pushed uh, in a far more stealth way than Obamacare, as dangerous, as destructive of right. our future, but it's been pushed by stealth because, I think, of the associations, because of Bill Ayers. Exactly. And and they there's been ways that they've marketed the common core that kind of hide what's really up with it. And we'll talk about that as we as we go on. But let's go ahead and go back to the list. Now, when Bosch heard about this poll, it reminded him of a post that he had made actually almost, you know, about a year, a year and a month ago. And it's called Slave by Choice. We all belong to the government, a.k.a. Whoa. slavery, says the, the graphic. Uh, and it was based on this montage of little interviews that were taken right after the Democrat National Convention at which someone, and I don't know who it is. Oh, it's some politician. I think I almost recognize the name yeah. of, I mean, excuse me, recognize the voice. voice, but I can't figure out who it is. And he's saying that, we, you know, we all belong to the government. And then afterwards... Yeah, we all belong to to the government. That is what someone at the Democrat National Convention said. And so then afterwards, this organization, Revealing Politics, went and asked people about it. Why don't you listen in here? 
in a, in a good way. Well, government's the only thing that we all belong to. Well, government's the only thing that we all belong to. One of the uh, themes put forth tonight at the convention was that we all belong to the government. How does it feel to belong to the government? It feels like one big happy family to, work, to belong to the government because if we feel that way, we're more safer. Um, we should feel the government should be able to help us, to be able to take care of us. We are all... Didn't she sound like she was answering an exam question? Hmm. She said because, and she didn't know what she was going to say after the because when she did that. But let's, let's let them continue their ridiculous. Part of our community, a national community, as Americans. It feels great. It feels sincere. The only thing we all belong to is the government. How does that make you feel? We all do belong to the government as U.S. citizens. We all belong to the government. How does that make you feel? We don't necessarily belong to the same religion, but we all belong to the government. I have to believe that. Yeah, yeah, that we all belong to the government. Yeah, how does it make you feel? Like, are you excited about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's excited. Who knows? I haven't never had other feelings, so I can't tell you how it feels not to belong to the government. What does this statement, like, invoke in you? Or or does it it make you feel excited? or? So how do you feel about the community message that we all belong to the government? Well, I believe that, but unfortunately the Republicans don't. I think regardless of where you grow up and where, regardless of where you live, you're going to be owned by someone at some point. So I think the American government so far has been a fair government, and I don't necessarily hate that I'm owned by them at this point. Don't it feel great to belong to the government? No, I drew I drew this one guy uh, who looks like an Obama voter. He's thin with a belly and he has a mullet, and he has a tattoo on his forearm that says "government property." And he's putting on he's happily putting on a um, what is it? Uh, a wristband of yeah. some kind, well, uh, well, uh, handcuffs yeah, or what? Handcuffs. Okay. Government. Yeah. And you know, as Iron Man said, she goes, you know, she no no one said better. Either we believe that the state exists to serve the individual or that the individual exists to serve the state. You could, you know, exchange state with, with, with governments to be exact in this context, but you, you know what it means. I don't know. I listened to that. I just, it's not even like a sad feeling like, Oh, it's over. I just, I can't believe people would actually say that in a casual way with a smile on their face. I mean, these people have wiped themselves out. What I love is the one guy who says, well, I've never known any other feeling. Yeah. And, and so it's not like you could conceptualize having freedom. Yeah, you know, uh, just psychologically freedom. This idea that yep, yep, we are, and that's that. And what are you gonna do about it? You know, almost like a threat. What are you gonna do about it? Now, one reason that people in the United States might have this idea that it's the government in charge of us and that we're not in charge of the government is that old saying that the only thing that you can, you know, is for certain is death and taxes, yeah. basically. Yeah. So taxes have become almost a metaphysical law of nature. Why? Because apparently today is the centennial of the United United States income tax. Uh, I've got a little headline from CNBC. Happy birthday, income tax. You're 100 years old. And it says, ouch. Are they celebrating it? Uh, um, I don't know. I mean, it's weird. They say, ouch. I mean, it is painful. Ouch, as in, as in no, I think I think it means like 100 years old. Wow, you know, it's it's not young. Meaning they, you know what I mean? 
It maybe it should have been two hundred plus years old, meaning from from day one. But anyway. So is it happy birthday income tax? Some people say it depends on your perspective. It says, but one thing we can take from the period of time when the tax law passed is the lawmakers got together and realized that some permanent form of taxation was needed mm. instead mm. of having a political stalemate that got nowhere. Right. You know, what do you do when that? You just you just take charge and start cut, stealing from people. Cut, damn it! Cut down freedom. Yeah. You know, in order to make it a little more convenient, a little more, you know, come on. And here's something depressing. In 1913, the tax code consisted of 400 pages. By 2012, the tax code was yep. 73,608 pages. 73,608 pages. And no, I am not transposing the decimal point or anything like that. 16th Amendment was adopted in February 1913. It gave Congress the legal right to levy an income tax. On the evening of October 3rd, President Woodrow Wilson... Of course, scum. ...signed the Revenue Act of 1913. Don't you love that? I can just let Bosch bring in the, <laughs> the harsh language. But no, this is, this is, a, this is well-deserved. The progressives so he, got he what they So he signed wanted. the Revenue Act of 1913. This allowed the collection of a federal income tax starting the next day. But then, of course, now what have they done? They have moved the actual collection of income tax day all the way to April, which is about as far as you can get yes. from election day. As, as Mark Levin points out, he says yeah. we we need to bring uh, tax day right be, right the day before election day, just to make people feel how they've been raped by the government and maybe vote accordingly or not vote. In, in terms of belonging to the state, Holly in the chat room over here at Blog Talk Radio says it's not a voluntary belong to, like joining a book club. Unity by force. Yeah, yeah it's, it's exactly right. You know, last week when Arshak called the show, he was making a point, and I thought he was making a point only about the healthcare industry, right. but he was making a point that with the imposition of Obamacare, not just in the healthcare industry is there now a ratio of force to free of about 70 some odd percent to 20 some odd percent but actually in the government you know in, excuse me in the country as a whole in terms of how what percentage of your life are you left free versus subject to government force and he suspects it's about 70 some odd percent to 20 some odd percent uh, I don't know the percentages but I know that with Obamacare um freedom has taken a monster hit monster hit because once they can get away with forcing us to pay for something that we don't want to pay for, that's a, that opens the floodgates to tyranny in a way that America has never seen before. Anyway, so this is basically the situation. We have people who say that the government is in charge. 88% of the people believe that the government is in charge of the people. We have a whole bunch of Democrats when they hear at their Democratic National Convention in 2012 that – we all belong to the government. They don't find that objectionable at all. In fact, they embrace it. They think it's wonderful. One woman said that she was excited about it, even though the questioner who was prompting her seemed to be suggesting, like, you know, surely you can't be serious, no. but nonetheless, she stuck to her guns. And then, and then the, the a couple at the end, they sang it. Well, actually, the two at the end, I think one was the interviewer and one oh, okay. was the first interviewee. Okay, so together, he was, they, was, you know, was, but basically he's, making, he's, he's making fun of her and, and she she's earnest. Yes. Yeah, she's earnest. She was, uh, the, she was the one who answered it sort of like yes. she was getting giving right. an essay question in school. <laughs> no, because she, she was shocked that she was being asked a question on camera. She said, wow, I'm important. You know, she was yeah, shocked. Yeah, you know, hey, I, I belong to the government. Yeah. I'm important. 
Let me read to you a little passage from Ayn Rand's essay, Don't Let It Go, after which this show is named. And the it and Don't Let It Go, as I've said a few times, is the American sense of life. And when she's describing what a sense of life is, again, it's sort of this subconscious sense of yourself and your place in the world and the place in society. And she says it's such a complex integration you know, what what your sense of life is, the confidence that you have in yourself, your ability to succeed, the confidence that you have in your mind to understand the world, what you think your place in the world is, etc. She says it's so complex that the best way is to give examples. And she first gives examples about an attitude that Europeans have about themselves vis-a-vis their government. And she contrasts that with the attitude that Americans typically have had, traditionally have had, about themselves, you know, with respect to government. So here is Rand, quote, the emotional keynote of most Europeans is the feeling that man belongs to the state as a property to be used and disposed of in compliance with his natural, metaphysically determined fate. A typical European may disapprove of a given state and may rebel seeking to establish what he regards as a better one, like a slave who might seek a better master to serve. But the idea that he is the sovereign and the government is his servant has no emotional reality in his consciousness. A typical American can never fully grasp that type of feeling. Now I've I've skipped down a little. An American is an independent entity. The popular expression of protest against, quote, being pushed around, end quote, is emotionally unintelligible to Europeans who believe that to be pushed around is their natural condition. Emotionally, Rand continues, an American has no concept of service or servitude to anyone. Even if he enlists in the army and hears it called service to his country, his feeling is that of a generous aristocrat who chose to do a dangerous task. A European soldier feels that he is doing his duty end quote from Ayn Rand, describing the original, traditional American sense of life, which apparently, if you hang around the Democratic Convention, is totally gone. And if you look at the Fox News poll, you see that sense of resignation in this horrible piece of legislation. That's probably going to continue, even though it's going to make the health care system worse. Fifty-some-odd people, 50-some-odd percent of the people polled in that very poll said that they preferred the health care system before this legislation. 64% thinks, oh, at the end, it's probably all going to continue to remain the quote-unquote law of the land. In terms of Rand, you know, what she was saying about the difference between Europe, Europeans and Americans, a lot of what's been going on, the terrible thing about uh, our country right now is that we have gone away from what America was, what it stands for, its unique character, and we have taken on, adopted foreign ideas into this culture for the progressives brought Europe brought the world into America this is what they did 1913 that the income tax that that Woodrow Wilson that was absolutely Europe brought into America forced onto us it was not a natural thing and their whole goal was to change the American character the American individual make him part of the state to the point where this is their dream come true as far as Woodrow Wilson he'd be ecstatic with Obama and what he's done he'd be like wow I made that big, big crack, and it finally came through. So, in one sense, yeah, it's you know, it's, we can see it's 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 horrific, but it's not American. What we're seeing today, these people on that video, those, those aren't Americans. 
they can call themselves they're 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 here by birth they were, they were only born here really in a lot of ways but they've adopted this anti-american un-american european attitude towards government towards life hey you're going to belong to somebody so you may as well belong to a good that, government that's exactly that's what she's saying attitude. you know that's the attitude as, as long as sick. as long as it's a good government that you belong to fundamentally you know, no un-american yeah. fundamentally and this was the goal of the progressives again they wanted to flip us for their purposes, for their power grab. And now it was nothing more than that. So I would say that if we really do think that right now it's the government that's in charge of us, we have a huge problem. We should not sit by and, and stand for that that state of, of being. We need we need to be in control. Now here, here's the deal. You might say, okay, well, who's in charge? It's not that, I mean, we're supposed to have a system of the rule of law, not the rule of men. So, you know, this idea of, well, who's in charge is it the people versus the government. But remember, what is the basis of the rule of law? The basis of the rule of law is that people have a right to be free from the initiation of force. We have the right to self-defense. And what we do is we delegate our right to self-defense to the government. Yes, we keep the ability to to defend ourselves in the case of emergencies, you know, some burglar breaks into your house, you don't have to wait for the police to get there to defend yourself, right? But the whole premise behind government is that we delegate our right to self-defense to the government, and we also have the government as an impartial arbiter if we have disputes so that we don't have to come to blows or, you know, have the showdown at the OK Corral at noon or whatever every time we get into a fight with somebody, right? So... That, that's the premise behind government. We delegate our right to self-defense to the government. The government is supposed to be working for us. We are supposed to be in charge of the government because the government is providing this protection to us. Yep. It's not that the government grants us our rights and, you know, we say, oh, thank you, thank you, government. We have the rights independently of government. Government is supposed to be serving this function for us. And as the Founding Fathers said, insofar as a government exceeds its authority and disregards the rights of citizens, people have the right to abolish and create a new one. Not so they can belong to it, right? So that they can enjoy their inalienable rights, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. So I I think... God, I, I found that very disturbing. Of course, it didn't make the headline over at Fox News. But Fox News, last night, I was so frustrated. Um, they had Pat Buchanan on, and Buchanan made some statement. It was like, and, and, I mean, to have him on. I mean, he was a guy who basically said we shouldn't have entered World War II. Hitler wasn't really worth fighting. And, I mean, this, this uh, is an idiot. Right. And he, he goes further to the point where I think he's a... I think he's like a Ron Paul type guy now. I mean, he's shot his head. I, I don't even know, but he expressed an opinion about something. And then Fox on the Chiron or whatever at the bottom mm-hmm. runs the little yes. thing. Breaking news. Yes. Pat Buchanan spouts off X opinion, breaking whatever news. it was. That's breaking news. That's breaking news yeah. according to Fox so, now. I, I don't know. I, I, there, there, just... there's, there's a lot that I like about Fox News. Well, but it, one it, thing it, that it, I find more... very annoying is that everything is breaking news over at Fox. It's, it's more tolerable than the old ones, but still it, it's it's just it's good and bad. It's good and it stinks back and forth. You and know, you have uh, Bill O'Reilly there. I mean, he just you know it's terrible. He Bill O'Reilly had Ted Cruz on, okay, and he was telling them like in a, such a cheap, stupid, on on the street way. Hey, you know, like more or less. Hey, Ted, you got to do this and you got to do that. Okay, that's it. You know, tell them what to do. It's like Ted Cruz. I think he knows what to do. I think he's been doing fine without your advice, Bill. 
It's really stupid. Is someone calling? Yeah, we do have a couple people calling, and we have someone who has actually hit the number one key so that they do want to ask a question. Let's go see who it is. Hi, who's this? Hello, Amy. This is Ed. How are you today? I'm doing hey, fine. Ed. How are you, Ed? I'm doing just great. I call uh, from one of the five states who have not implemented Common Core, uh, Virginia. Awesome. Very good. Uh, um, I, um, uh, I really only had... Uh, uh, a, a little bit of thing to say about the who is in charge of the government. I wanted to point uh, you and the listeners to this article from the American Spectator in 2010, written by Anthony Cotavilla, where he sort of analyzes the sociology of what he calls the ruling class. That is the the political class in Washington that consists of both Republicans and Democrats, and and all of the people who who get money from them give money to them, think the same way, are educated the same way, and basically think that they're better than everybody else. It's a, it's a, it's a really very uh, well-written article, and it goes right to this point about do we think that the people are in charge or do we think that they're not in charge? And his, his uh, response was, um, no, There's, it's almost like a class society where the class is not defined by your skin color or even by your education, or even by how much money you make. There are rich people on both sides. There are you know, well-educated people on both sides. Um, but it's a sort of mindset and relationship to the government that defines it. It's a very interesting article. Now, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to disagree uh, politely with Jerome Brook from yesterday's Tammy Bruce show. Jerome... Um, Said, and I'm paraphrasing here that <clears throat> Ted Cruz is, is 21 hours is not going to make a big difference. It's going to be a long, drawn-out educational struggle to bring the United States, um, you know, into a, a more freedom. We can make sort of maybe marginal improvements here or there. Um, and I just wanted to point out uh, that um, with apologies of him not being on and me speaking without him, but um, that that is not true. That. Radical changes have happened in the United States in relatively short periods of time. Um, Civil War, uh, the uh, the Progressive Era uh, was was a very very short period of time. Of course, the '60s. I don't know whether you're old enough to have uh, witnessed the '60s. I witnessed the '10s. No. <laughs> uh, very very radical, very radical changes. Very very short time. Now, you know, many of those changes that I've talks about are, are bad. You know, many of the, the things uh, that have happened are bad. But there is this kind of tipping point phenomenon. And I think the 8% view um, represents sort of a, the buildup behind the dam, you know. And, and I, I think there is a possibility what the trigger is, whether it's Levin's book and, and maybe, you know, one state, then two states, then five states pass uh, constitutional convention, or whether it's Ted Cruz and his uh, leadership on this issue and the failure. There is a tipping point phenomenon that I think uh, Dr. Brooke was, is not really taking into account. And I, I think there is a possibility of a radical change. And this 8% leads into mentality. Now, of course, it could be for the worse, but it could be for the better if the people with the right ideas are out in front, and I think some of them are. 
I mean, so, so you know, something that he might say is that yeah, suppose there is a fr- you know a fairly significant change in a, a short period of time that you know originates in the realm of politics that it wouldn't really have any staying power without the whole rest of the cultural change that is the longer term pro- project. So that so there's that. Uh, what do you make, you know, and you'd have to go check out this Fox News poll that I, I linked to at the blog, but one of the questions was about whether Ted Cruz's speech, the 21-hour speech on the floor, made things better or worse, and you can test my memory, you have to go check it out, but as I recall, um, it was only 19% thought that it made things better, and then 26% thought it made things worse, and then there was a significant chunk who didn't even know enough about it to decide one way or the other, Some somewhere in the 20-some-odd percent. I have a pretty good memory, but I, I think that's accurate. Uh, you, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess, I guess 19% you know, of the poll numbers saying that it made a significant change, maybe, maybe that's an indication of something positive like what you're describing. But in terms of Ted Cruz's own popularity as well, I think it's it's kind of too soon to know what he has achieved. And that and that was kind of the premise, Ed, behind my question to your own, if you remember, where I said, what do they do now to take the work that Ted Cruz has done and build on it and make it a value? What do you think? Yes, I, I think this I think this newfound assertiveness on the part of Cruzley and Paul to uh, not go along to get along in the Washington ruling class is really upsetting people. Harry Reid is apoplectic about it. He is just I, he's going to have a brain aneurysm. Um, that would be fun. He, he, oh, sorry. <laughs> He can't well, believe well, well, he died. I, I don't want him to die. I just yeah, want him well, to not well, be able well, to do yeah, his job. He died a few years ago, I think. Oh, the, yeah. The, well, he's not, he's not doing his job. I mean, you know. The, but but officially, I want him to not be able to do it. <laughs> right. um, they could, they could that, recall him, and I'd be happy. That is a revolt against comedy. And, uh, and everybody's supposed to be buddies, and, yeah, you fight That's during right. the day and give long speeches, but then you go out and have drinks and, you know slap waitresses around and whatnot, yeah. like uh, Ted Kennedy and uh, um, what's yeah. his name, the guy from Connecticut. Uh, you know, you just you just have fun. You're you're buds, you know, because you're all in it. You know, you take the speeches, but they don't matter. They're just speeches. Yeah. Go have a drink and be all friends. These guys are not like that. And uh, they're not getting invited. They I mean, I mean, what you know, one one thing that I will uh, disagree with your own about, and and Bosch talked a little bit about it yesterday too and and I agreed there but it's you know Kent uh Ted Cruz has been in office only since February January, January. January. so since day 1 he's been fighting I, it I would say if if he by October has achieved a groundswell of support in you know the which is evidenced by over 2 million people yeah. signing the petition at dontfunded.com and then giving no, the he speech was, uh, and you know, bringing all the attention. I I think he's done Ted, a tremendous amount of work in a short period of time. For one guy, Ted, in this Cruz, Ted Cruz has become the Speaker of the House. I mean, the the House, the House voted for the defund only because of yeah. Cruz. Cruz and Lee were on the phone with House members trying to convince them to vote their way and not Boehner's way, and right. they did. Now, what does this make Boehner out to be? Boehner. Ted Cruz is the Speaker of the House now. I mean, that, it's crazy. I've never seen anything like that before. Um, it, it is new. There is something new going on. Now we're, 
I think we're probably going to lose this one, but you know, I I think that there is a possibility of a tipping point anyway. Yeah, and go, Amy. Great. Thanks very much for calling in, Ed. And what, what um, about that? Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Go no, ahead. No, just about about your own yesterday, and uh, he's always thought provoking. And uh, you know, I, I I go back and forth. I'm like, I want to argue with some, certain things about the pessimism, but then he comes up with this absolute reason, optimism, is back and forth. But his, in a way, he he dismissed Cruz in his 21 hour filibuster, as in, I don't know of anyone who said, well, after that filibuster, things have changed. No one said that. Not any. I'm, I'm, I don't think anyone has said that. I didn't think that. You didn't think. Nobody. Ted Cruz didn't say that. It was one of the ways he's been fighting for the last year, and he's been fighting for a year. He goes, "Where was he two years ago? He was. He was not in office two years ago. Yep. He was not. He was no. in Texas. No. He's been in power for almost a year now. He has made a clear, you know, hit in. I mean, in in the way we we have to fight this. He has made. Us think there's hope now meet, in the future. The I mean, real hope. A, you know, it's so funny. The guy at Meet the Press, he, he tries to tell Cruz. He says, "You yes. haven't moved anyone." The whole and, and and I would have loved to have told Cruz to just tell him, "Well, hey, you invited me on this show." <laughs> yes. He goes, "It's like you are so insignificant, Cruz, that I had to have you on." That's right. As a first guest, it's like it's pathetic. He had him on because he made some real serious noise in our political, you know. In, in the way we think about about politics right now, and Ted Cruz with Mike Lee and Rand Paul at times, even though he's a really just he, you can't trust Rand Paul. You cannot trust him. He's completely his father in certain ways. He's trying not to be his father in some ways, and then he said we need to compromise. And anyway, he just just not to be trusted. The ones the one to be trusted is Ted Cruz in terms of politics. Politicians who have not betrayed so far. They, they haven't. I mean, I don't. I don't think Ted Cruz has 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 betrayed his position so far. Him and Mike Lee are the hope for the future. If you put Mike Lee, Ted Cruz and Mike Lee, 2016, and they do what they've been doing, I think they could take out anyone that that that, that the left has because who who ha, who who's left have? As long as you don't have Candy Crowley you know, in charge of the debate. No, right? well, I think Cruz is you know sharp enough where he'll call it out then and there, unlike Romney, True. idiot. True. True. Uh, so if you put if you put that two good guys in politics who are not who have not been politicians for a long time. They're both influenced by Rand. They're the, be- the, the best of them. And yes, they're politicians. That's what I'm, I'm always going to say. But you can't dismiss Cruz. You can't dismiss that he had, he's been out there for almost a year now. Well, fighting and, and, and Brook doesn't dismiss him, right? No, but he, he did he say, says, he says, well, where where's he been? And yeah, he's wonderful. But if you look deeper into him, he's worse. Look, we know he may hold, he may be against abortion. He may be against gay marriage and all this. Besides that, well, some and, deep, dark secrets. I don't know of them. Well, think about this, right? So he just became a senator in January, and, February, and whenever, he's whenever he took the right? world on, on fire in a lot right. of ways. And some people think, I mean, what an upstart for him to even do what he's doing at this yes. moment, this early in the game. Right. So this idea of, you know, where has he been? I think that he has he's bucked the, the he, he, he's bucked the trend for a freshman senator so much. Yeah. And and remember what you know where did he kind of start to to lay the groundwork for for being involved in this way when Rand Paul in the yep. spring did his drone you yes. know filibuster yeah and he joined him and he he, he joined him and he and, and he, he quoted from Rand yeah, also yeah he he did a very good job and so. also one thing I mean I I think if I'm mistaken the first day he became uh, a senator he actually uh, spoke out against uh, Obamacare and he actually 
He tried to pass something. Didn't he try to pass something? I he, think he proposed a piece of legislation I mean, wow, on the first, the first day. Well, and that's because what that's I would what, do. If, what I, if I ran on something, that's what I would that's do. That's what he promised in November 2012. He said, look, this is where I'm going to go. This is where I want to do. And he has not betrayed his positions. He has not done it. Uh, and, and, and also, whatever, whatever he believes personally, religiously, all this, he has not – he didn't once, I think, mention any of those social issues during his 21-hour filibuster. I didn't hear any mention of it. And that's it. significant. The, the, again, the thing I heard was, you know, Obamacare shouldn't be able to force anything on Catholic hospitals, and I 100% agree with him. There should be no forcing no. of Catholic hospitals to perform abortions or provide – they, 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 they the right birth control or whatever. No, yeah, we don't want to be, take part in this. They definitely should be able to. Over here in the chat room at Blog Talk Radio – We've got 72521 saying, could that be the good thing about Obama? Thanks to him, someone like Ted Cruz came out. And I would say, okay, perhaps. And, and, this, and this has been the rationale behind, you know, I don't know if you remember in the past, but there were objectivists and they called themselves carry haters for carry. <laughs> you know, you want to put a yucky Democrat in there when the Republicans are no good. Yep. Because then that motivates the other side to really look at what's wrong with the status form of government and perhaps, you know, churn out somebody better. And we seem to have gotten somebody better in Ted Cruz. But I think the most important thing that the Obama presidency has given to our side, so to speak, is the tremendous jump in sales of Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> Atlas I mean, Shrugged has just been coming off the shelves, hundreds of thousands of copies per Over year. 50 years Assuming old. people are reading those things, that is the long term of the culture right there. So I, I think that would be the good that come out of you know comes out of Obama. I think people now, Ted Cruz understand. was influenced by Ayn Rand. So he there's, said there's also, no go if you haven't read it, go yeah. buy Atlas Shrugged, read it. I mean, this is and also uh, today I was uh, I put on radio for for a few minutes when I was on the road and Rush had uh, a caller, an 18 year old. And, and the kid said, uh, I, I called you last week. I was talking about Atlas Shrugged. And, uh, because Rush sometimes initiates a conversation about Atlas Shrugged by if, if a leftist calls in or some, you know, some idiot calls in, he goes, read Atlas Shrugged. Boom. Next, you know, that's what he says. As in, that has the There's answer. There's the answer, there right. Are the, and that's the book of anyone. Of, of whatever's going on, they say, read Atlas Shrugged. I, I remember Leonard Peikoff thinking that if everybody read Atlas Shrugged, then there'd be no more work to do. But oh, uh, obviously, you well, don't, you're not capable of automatically understanding what. Well, on those also days. rats have read Atlas Shrugged. Yeah. Oh, rat yeah. bastards, and they actually use it, you know, against us. I mean, they know a little more how to actually manipulate things. Ed in the chat room, who he just called, he he points out sales of Atlas Shrugged and also guns, yes. lots of guns. Yeah. There was, there was a cartoon where Obama got two awards for uh, uh, selling books for uh, an award for selling Atlas Shrugged and guns. It's pretty funny. It was 2009, a Yogi something cartoonist. You know, again, to bring up Yaron Brooke, he made, I thought, an excellent point at the Objectivist Conference in the, in the summer about guns. And he, he said, you know, objectivists can disagree about gun control, how much there should be, and, you know, to what extent you, you know, should be able to own, you know, a bunch of guns, what types of guns, things like that. He says, but to me, he thinks it's sad for you to believe that you have to own a gun to keep yourself safe or that, you know, if it gets to the point where you think you need a gun in order to protect yourself against a totalitarian government, that yes. that is, that's a sad statement. And, no and doubt I about agree. It, but it's true. I mean, uh, individuals have gotten, even Mark Levin, the, uh, the uh, radio host, said for the first time ever a few years ago he got guns. He got a, a number of them Yeah. because of what where we are. Right. He never had it before. And, he never had a thought to get it before. Yep. 
and you, and you just and you just want to want to be ready. Let's go back to this theme of who's in charge, and is there this ruling class that's elite and thinks themselves above us, et cetera? And we and we know this is true. Bosch sent me this article, and it is published October first over at Townhall.com. The headline is "Reminder: Every Senate Democrat Voted in Favor of Exempting Themselves." from Obamacare. And people have quibbled about, is there an exemption? Is there not? But the thing that you have to remember is that even if these politicians are on the exchange, and even if they choose the most expensive gold, platinum, whatever plans, which I understand that's what they're doing, the government is authorized to subsidize their premiums under Obamacare up to 75%. A whole bunch of other people in the country, so for instance, the UPS workers, there are 15,000 UPS workers whose spouses have jobs that where they also offer insurance, but because the UPS insurance was so high quality, the UPS worker chose to cover his or her spouse on the yeah. UPS plan. No longer. Yeah. UPS can't handle it, can't afford it. So there are businesses all over the country who are having to cut the coverage or the subsidies for the coverage for their employees. And that's not going to be true of the government. That is the sense, you know, regardless of whether they actually go on an exchange and get an exchange plan or whatever, they are being subsidized basically to the same extent that they were before, the same percentage, regardless of whether the premiums go up. And so everybody else, we have to bear the brunt of the premium going up and, and this is the, the party, Congress does not. This is the Democrat Party who passed Obamacare. Every rat passed it, you know. And they're like, "Well, we're t- we're we're too good for Obamacare," you know. Right. I mean, that's it. We have another call. We're going to go ahead and take it here. I think it's Robert. Hi, is this Robert? Yes. Hi, Amy and Bosch. Hey, Robert. So, do you, do you you uh, h- how do you feel about belonging to the government? Oof. I do. I never will belong to the government. Even after I'm dead, I won't belong to the government. That is an insult, a complete insult. So <laughs> that's how I feel about belonging to the government. And I grew up uh, that way. I my family was very poor. We had food stamps, uh, which helped us. There was nine in my family, and I swore that once I got out, out once I left home at 18, I would never take a food stamp ever again in my life and and it certainly shaped me uh to to a large extent so um no don't belong to them and and never will that's that's how i feel and each one of those interviews was sickening uh yeah. that 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 you have played um but but the i'm glad you did read the onran quote cuz i my comment the night of the election was the re-election was that we have become europe and that's mm-hmm. such a bad that is such a sad reflection because uh America is you know, was born out of Europe but we you know, we we ran away from home and, and uh yes, went on our true. own and, and created something that was never created before and the last hundred years have just been sliding downhill and certainly the last uh ten years or so has has been just going spiraling, not even sliding anymore. So it's very sad. Yeah, and it's it's one of the reasons that I started doing 
what I'm doing is because of of this rapid decline. You know, if you go mm-hmm. back to those the, go back to those poll numbers at Fox News, and I'm speaking completely off the top of my head because I was looking over the actual poll questions and the percentages. And one of the things in this poll is that Obama's approval rating is up to 45% again under this poll as of October 1st and 2nd. So I guess a lot of people are duped into being impressed with him going Mm -hmm. out and lecturing everybody and finger-pointing and whatever the... You know, right. what 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 a, what a jerk! You know, he just goes out there and gets angry at people, and then his poll numbers go up. I mean, that's horrible. But it's interesting. Mm-hmm. So his poll number, his approval rating, is forty five percent, and then they ask a series of questions having to do with, are you in favor of what he does with this, with this? You know, different policy things. So there's healthcare, Syria, jobs. You know, a few other things. And what I noticed is, the only substantive issue on which Obama achieved a 45% approval rating was health care, okay? Wow. And, and and the rest of it, it was lower or significantly lower in the 30s and the 20s, whatever, in terms of approval rating. So it's all about the guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, we approve, we approve of the guy. Or, or it's a single-issue thing. Oh, well, you know, he's bringing us Obamacare, so therefore we approve of him. It, it, so it's a single-issue referendum about him. I mean, it, it's hard to interpret these poll numbers. But it, but it struck me that here's the guy's approval rating at 45%, and the only substantive issue on which he got a 45% approval rating, and it was exactly 45%, was health care. Everything else was significantly below that. So Americans are just duped. It's like some sort of a yeah. celebrity celebrity leader our dear leader mentality or something it's really scary messiah is more is more accurate i mean have yeah. you ever seen in your lifetime have you ever seen a, a large segment of the public absolutely gushing over a political yeah. leader it's, it's i mean you know I'd, I'd, like, I'd like i'd like john to f kennedy might have been the last thing that's yeah. before our time but i i just don't get it you know i i can't remember what prompted it but recently bosch uh, went and searched for Obama tattoos, and and you don't want to do this. You don't no. want to Google Obama no, tattoos, and you don't want to see the images because <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's 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 the kind of thing that you can't unsee, right? What I said was, uh, but, you can reason with people who have Obama tattoos. Dot dot dot. And Islam means peace. That's right. That's right. They're beyond. <laughs> They're beyond help. Yeah, so you know what? What's the in, you know the indicator that you can't reason with someone they have an Obama tattoo? But I, I, I'd love to do a study and say, okay, you know, how many people got a Ronald Reagan tattoo? Yeah. Well, you know, he was kind of the last real popular yeah. president no. versus Obama. Now, I, I think it wouldn't be fair, probably, because people who like Obama would be more likely to like tattoos, and I think tattoos are more mm-hmm. accepted today than they were in the time of Reagan. Yeah. But you, you get the idea, you know, the, this idea of putting politician. putting this permanent Put ink mark on your body. Yeah. A, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, a, a politician who, who goes in and out of office on your body for life, yeah. I mean, that, that, is, that yeah. is an I belong to government tattoo. I mean, they might yeah. as well just put the, the symbol of a government. Sick. Mm-hmm. You know, you, Years and of course, and they're going to hate the government once he's out of office again. Yeah. They're going to go back to hating yeah. the government. So exactly. it's just awful. Can I just I, make one comment about Iran as well? Yesterday, his the, the the most beneficial point he made that I got was the optimism about. And I tend to be not tend to be. I am an optimistic person. Uh, this mm-hmm. last election really did get to me. But what I liked 
was his point that there are still values out there. There's still more good than bad, and we do tend to get too steeped in actual day-to-day political issues, and it's not evasion by you know trying to not be so absorbed in that stuff, but there's still greatness you know, in America, far more than anywhere else. And, and I don't think the answer is going anywhere else. The battle right. should be fought here. And I just really like that that point. I, 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 it really, to me, that made his segment a big, a big success because I, mean, yeah, I know there the, are the, some things you disagree with, but go ahead. Yeah. So, well, I was going to say the way that I would encapsulate it is even though we are on the decline, our ability to enjoy the best and greatest elements of Western culture is better now, mm-hmm. yes. and it, and and it's been increasing. You know, enjoy so, so we, and we, fight. Yeah, I we, mean, that's the whole we thing. can enjoy enjoy can, life yeah. and fight. Yeah. So we can enjoy the best that Western culture has to offer more easily, more quickly. We have things at the touch of the button that we can do because of the Internet and all the technology that we could mm-hmm. never have done before. So there is that, and, and this, you know, that we can get fuel from that. There's, there's a reason. I mean, you know, if somebody did want to hire me to be a full-time radio host where I would do this five mm-hmm. days a week, I'd have a hard time turning that down, right? If you were going to actually pay me a, a salary that I could mm-hmm. afford to support myself, mm-hmm. but at the but at the same time, doing it one day a week, I think, is almost better for my psyche yeah. because yeah. because of where we are because I, you know, I don't steep myself in it as much. I can take a couple days and yeah. just as I, you know, I was talking about recently, I can relish in the latest iPhone you know, operating system right. and, and check out the new iTunes radio and marvel at how wonderful it is that not only does this technology work a certain way, but that the guys at Apple have good taste. When I hit the, you know, U2 radio, they give me almost no duds in the in the list, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I love being able to, to do stuff like that. Now, I think Yaron wouldn't choose the example that I just gave. He, he would say, okay, you know, where where's your Mozart or your Vivaldi? Yeah. But I do some of that too. But you, you get the idea. This this uh, yeah. doing doing it one day a week allows me to you know sometimes escape for a couple of days and then come and play catch up. And I, I yeah. think it's uh, it's healthy. And I, I and I thank you. I've told you this before that you serve as a buffer for me because I. I get much of my news through you because it's too sickening for me to go directly to, to the source on a regular basis. And, and I think once a week, yeah, I'll find out a little more detail what's really going on. And again, it's not evasion, but yeah. I'm seeing the chat, some of the chat uh, uh, points here. That the only, the other last thing that I'd like to say is uh, a point Andy Bernstein made that most every country once it has started a decline, whether Rome, Great Britain. Um, Egypt, they've they've never been able to turn the tables. They've just continued this descent, and America is the only country that is because we do have uh, we do have objectivism and we do have reality, in, in fact, on our side. So if there is a country that could you know could do that, uh, America will be the one. Whether we see it in our lifetime, I don't know. But again, Ayn Rand says those who fight for the future live in it, and that's you know all everything that I just said does not mean that I'm oblivious to, you know, to the bad that's going on. It's just that I, I just don't let it get to me every waking moment. Yep. Right. And and we can we can fight for the future and to Enjoy. that extent live in it today and we can uh, you Enjoy know life. get get the emotional fuel from the mm-hmm. great 
cultural products right. of the past, yep. and and there are a few in the present, even though they're they're few and far between. I think Andy's dead on, uh, and you know when people say, well, all other quote unquote empires, there's never been an America before, never has no. been, ever, mm-hmm. and that's why I think we have a hell of a chance to turn this ship mm-hmm. and come back and, and and be and be greater than we ever were. Yep. Yeah. Ultimately. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you for your call, you, Robert. Robert. And uh, look forward to seeing you in New York sometime soon. That'll be great to to connect there as well. We are reaching here the top of the hour. So uh, you you want me to lift this here, Bosch? Okay, sorry. Yeah, Yeah, that was was Robert's call. And then we do have a a call online. But if you do want to talk, 760-888-5817, make sure also hit the one button over at Blog Talk Radio. So this is Don't Let It Go Unheard again. Amy Peekoff, I've got cartoonist Bosch Faustin in the studio. We, yes, we've... That has to be the fastest hour I think we've ever done, ever. It, it may be, I but, can't it, believe but it. it may also be because of our wonderful callers. So thanks to Ed and Robert for participating. And that the is chat nice. room is quite active over here at Blog Talk Radio as well. There's a couple stories that I wanted to just kind of quickly look at. You can go over back to don'tletitgo.com and check out my program notes to see the links to the stories that I'm talking about here. The debt ceiling battle is coming up soon, and one article that I linked to is Obama just played his big Trump card on the debt ceiling. This is an article from Business Insider, and in essence, all it says is that he's already threatening that the Social Security checks won't go out, and I forget what other horrible things. He's got this new hashtag that he's calling, whatever it is, economic shutdown. Yes. So no, you know, if, that. if there's a government shutdown, then certain mm-hmm. things happen. But that what's really bad is an economic yes. shutdown, and this that's is, what's going to happen due to the evil Republicans. Yep. This right? is, he's trying to push it literally one sentence. I think he said it three times. So him and his whole gang are trying to push this idea, and we're, they're going to try to avert it, even if they have to go against the Constitution or whatever. I mean, so, you know, we're going to have to save the country at the expense um, of the country. Here's the quote from Obama. This was a speech at M. Lewis Construction Company in Rockville, Maryland. And our dear leader says, quote, In a government shutdown, Social Security checks still go out on time. In an economic shutdown, if we don't raise the debt ceiling, they don't go out on time, Obama said. In a government shutdown, disability benefits still arrive on time. In an economic shutdown, they don't. So here's he saying, he's saying, okay, all you people who are getting the government sugar, you know, make sure that you call John Boehner and tell him what an evil yeah. bastard he is I mean, for withholding your check. He thinks that the economy will, will tank because... The government doesn't want to sit, just sit down and say, okay, we've got to cut some damn programs. We've got to cut government. Right. That is a no-no. That's it. So we're going to have to basically and, – and I don't know if you got to that point yet where he wants to be bypass and – Well, yeah. Know. So so yeah. What, what's happening is apparently certain trial balloon emitters, yes. whoever these people are who emit trial balloons um, – I, I don't know. I'm, 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 st- I'm starting to think that we have a cartoon of Maybe. trial balloon emitters right. or something. Like they could that. be little balloons, like balloons could be coming pop, out of their mouths or something. Popping out of his mouth, basically. It's like a like hundred of them. Well, but he's got a whole bunch of them, like sending out. I actually have. Balloons. I have a drawing of Obama as uh, word balloons. N- no joke. His head no, is, no, but, no, but trial know, balloons. Know, but, trial balloons. No, but I could write that literally. They're they're they're, they're shaped like balloons. Maybe we'll, yeah. we'll we'll figure out the details later. But this is just materializing in my brain. The other article that talks about this trial balloon is from the New York Times, and I have to give a hat tip to um, uh, 
uh, to Mark Levin about this, and it is a New York Times columnist says that Obama should just ignore the debt ceiling. Henry J. Aaron, writing for the New York Times, published September 29th, says, well, look, you know, if the House refuses to raise the debt ceiling, then basically there are three different laws that Obama might have to break. One of them has to do with the fact that he's not supposed to go over the debt ceiling, but the other two are that he is supposed to be spending the money that Congress tells him he's supposed to be spending, and then the other one is that they uh, that he's able to raise only those taxes that Congress has authorized him to impose, etc., so it's like, well, you know, I've got to break one of these things. And so the thing that he should break is he should just forget the debt ceiling. It used to be traditionally it's been that if there's no authorization to raise the debt ceiling, that the implication is that the spending has to be cut. No, he can't go get more taxes. He can't steal more from us. He's got to cut spending. But now they're saying, oh, you know, why why think that? And the way that Aaron, uh, at the end, this columnist Aaron puts it, he says, the debt ceiling is the fiscal equivalent of the human appendix, a law with no discoverable purpose. It is one law too many. Once Congress has set tax rates and spending levels, it has effectively said what it wants the debt to be. If Congress leaves the debt ceiling at a level inconsistent with duly enacted spending and tax laws, the president has no choice but to ignore it, he says. And I say BS. I say the law is there for a reason, and if anything, the presumption should be on the side of spending less, not spending more, but of course not in Obama's America. State Defiance in the chat room over at Blog Talk Radio says, oh please, he's already broken half a dozen laws. Yeah, this would be a very conspicuous one, and this would set such a precedent. The, the idea that the rule of law is gone, the power of the purse, through the Congress, which is supposed to be one of the checks and balances. Again, you know, Democrats say that if they and Obama don't get 100% of their way, that it's a dysfunction of democracy. And I say it again, we don't live in a democracy, we live in a constitutional republic, a system of checks and balances, that's what we're supposed to have. And the House, one of its most important checks on the other branches of government, is this power of the purse. And one of the ways that they exercise that check is by refusing to authorize an increase in the debt ceiling. So if that's gone, one of the most important checks and balances in our government is gone. And I say you might as well just call him dear leader, dictator, what, which is what he wants to be. Yeah. I mean, how many times has he railed? Oh, you know, oh, unfortunately, we're not like China where the leader can just do whatever the hell he wants. I mean, this is, this is what Obama this, wants. He has said this again and again. Uh, well, unfortunately, I'm not a king. Unfortunately, I'm not a dictator. You know, this is his language. Yeah. He wants to be. Yeah. But I, uh, Mark Levin has been hitting on this for the last few weeks at least. And today, uh, yesterday's show, he was talking about it, and, and he was reading from this article. Uh, the fact that Obama wants to basically um, run right by Congress and take hold and say, okay, he will basically call. He'll be the guy who can actually uh, tax what he wants, spend what he wants, and that's that. No more power of the purse from Congress. And But, you know, Levin, I love listening to Mark Levin. He really pissed me off, though, because he basically said, if he does this, this is such an attack on our system, on the Constitution, that it's almost – 
it's unprecedented. Not almost. It is absolutely unprecedented. No, no president has ever done this before. They've always worked out deals with Congress, no right. matter if they're Democrats or Republicans. And then Levin, the first thing he says is, my book, the Liberty Amendments, instead of saying, wait a minute, Mark, right. I know he has a book to sell. And I love his, I love his book. I love his work. This is, is impeachment time. Well, you know what I mean? so that's let, the let, me, let me let me connect the dots for you vis-a-vis this column. Time, I know, and I know. then the book but, eventually. But, but, but let me connect the dots for you vis-a-vis this guy Aaron. Okay, Aaron says impeachment could be tried if Obama does this. You know, and again, this is a trial balloon. I think Obama intends to do. It. You said Pelosi's also oh, advocating Pelosi, for it. Pelosi, Bill Clinton, yeah. this guy. It's yeah. it's the whole left right now. They're saying. Obama, just get it over with, okay? Yeah. Become the dictator we all want you to be, and that's that, okay? Enough. Exactly, exactly. So if he does it, impeachment is a possibility, but Aaron says, and I think he's right, because the Senate won't go along, then that's DOA. And so one of Levin's major amendments that he proposes is to go back to choosing the Senate the old way, yeah, where the state legislatures were the ones who chose yeah, the senators. And I think that, and also also the term limits for the senators, those two things would get rid of the dead weight like the yes, Harry Reid so quickly. But that's eventual. Uh, this I, is a, I mean, this is a clear and present danger to right, our right. republic. But you get you get the connected Obama dots, tried right? To pull this. Obama tries to pull this. They try to impeach. They can't impeach because of the dead weight in the Senate. But the fact is they have the to way make, you get rid of the dead weight in the Senate is through liberty. Amendment. They have to make a Ted Cruz go out there and for whatever, however long it takes to make it clear what he has done, how that is impossible with our system. You cannot do that. Make it clear to American people. This is what he has done. The media will not tell you this. I will tell you this. Others will tell you this. He cannot do this, mm-hmm. and we cannot remain a republic if he does this. This is what he did, and this is why we have to basically put together a, a, a book that's longer than Obamacare, 3,000, 4,000 pages of articles of impeachment. I mean, right. this, this is no joke. Yeah. It has yeah. to be bigger than Obamacare. That, w- that would be great. And, and yeah. And show it. And, and also bigger than the uh, Common Core standards yeah. as well. State actually no, I wanted to look at what NYC Robert NYC in the chat room is saying here. He says that Harry Binswanger says the Republicans should focus on not raising the debt ceiling because the ceiling's purpose is to prevent government from living beyond its means. If they stuck to that, they would gain sympathy. I, I think they definitely could. And what? But then, but then there's Boehner. Well, there, right, right. But what Obama's doing here is he's scaring all yes. the people who get Social Security and, and, shutdown, and disability checks. That's, that's yeah. a new term. Economic shutdown. He's going to save us from an economic shutdown. That's right, the whole right, setup. Right. And, and so that he's going to have to do it unilaterally because Congress wouldn't do it for him. And if he gets away with it, and I suspect there's a chance he might be able to get away with it, at least in the short term, he's going to destroy this precedent of Congress having this check of the power of the person. And all powerful presidents what they wanted. It is and and that and that's what they're they're asking for right here. They want to get rid of this bargaining chip that the House has had. Now, you know, going back to this dysfunction of democracy idea, yeah, we've got a constitutional republic, a system of checks and balances, an important check is the power of the purse that's in the House. But moreover, the House is a democratically elected body. It's the premier democratically elected body because you don't have the electoral college and the electoral votes of the different states and the, as the, an intermediary, the, the, right? The people's right? house. That's so, what they call so it, the people's house. The, here's the people's house. 
being the one that's the prime mover trying to get some changes in Obamacare or delay or, you know, whatever the stupid latest compromise is, but some sort of change to to mitigate the damage of Obamacare. And they're doing it on behalf of the people. Over 2 million people signed the petition. You know, there's all this going on. And the left, the Democrats are saying that if the House gets their way, the House being the most democratically elected body, subject to election every two years, they had a huge landslide the last time it was a referendum on Obamacare. Yes. Oh, it's a dysfunction of democracy. <laughs> right. If they get what they want, it is ridiculous. It is sick. And uh, again, he he can't do this. And that's be. I mean, there now. Where is the voice? The only place I've heard this was from Mark Levin, an individual radio host. Where the hell are the other writers for the other non-leftist magazines? Where's Fox News on this? Anticipating this, say this. He can. This is a breaking point in a lot of ways. And where the hell are they? Where are they? The, the left, the rat bastards are writing about it. It's clearly set, setting the stage for this. Yeah, and the, and the, and there's there's the two huge problems. The one is it eliminates this important check that the house has over the power of the purse and the power to borrow, and it would obliterate the rule of law. I yes. mean, you know, we've I mean, all, we've we've already seen, you know, there's there's little things on which the president has tried to okay, well, let me get away with an executive order for this, an executive yes. order for that, but this is huge. Yes. This is huge. So the idea that no he's going to go ahead and do this is is just crazy. And that that's what they should be pushing, the importance of the checks and balances, the importance of maintaining the rule of law, particularly a man who was sworn in to uphold the Constitution. I, it, anyway, it's crazy. So So when you talk about who is in charge, in essence, um, when you talk about you know who's actually in charge, it appears that right now, yes, the government is in charge, but I think the people should be way more outraged than they are. I'm going to go ahead and start to go on to some of our coverage of the Common Core. The Common Core coverage that we're going to be doing, I think, goes right along with the theme of the show of, of who's in charge. What the federal government is going to do via the Common Core is take even more control over your child's education. Let's start in a simple place, let's talk about how the Common Core represents itself. Go to the Common Core State Standards Initiative, Common Core, or it's called corestandards.org, and there's a frequently asked questions section here. What are educational standards? Well, the standards just help the teachers ensure the students have skills and knowledge. That sounds innocuous enough, right? Then the Common Core Standards Initiative, they say, is a state-led effort that established a single set of clear educational standards for kindergarten through 12th grade, blah, 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 blah. As I understand it, they keep pushing themselves, and you know what the literature has said is that they keep pushing themselves as a state-led effort. But, yeah, you know, they got some input from some people from the state. So you had a chance mm -hmm. to give your input. But really, this has been steered by a bunch of progressive ideologues in a couple nonprofit organizations. One of them is called Achieve Incorporated. We'll look at this a little bit more. But yeah, it's like, oh, it's state led. You know, there, there's a couple things to say. First of all, the fact that something comes from states, that, that comes from government too. Why should any government be telling us the standards by which we educate our children? Uh, the fact that it comes from states doesn't make it any better than federal. But moreover, yeah, okay, suppose people are all getting together at the states. They're all going to agree on some common 
denominator. And of course, you know, it's going to be the lowest common denominator because the states that have the lowest scoring kids or the most stupid kids or whatever you want to put it. I don't know. They want to have their say in the standards. So it's all going to be watered down and, and, and dumbed down. It's uh, crazy. So, you know, it's still going to be a nationwide common set of standards. And moreover, they took input from other countries. So they're actually trying to have, in fact, a, a sort of international common core have some sort of international standards set the uh you know be the be the ruler by which we measure all of this stuff who leads the common core standards there's something called the national governor governors association and also the council of chief state school officers and it says they led the development of the standards but there is this achieve incorporated that was also heavily involved we'll learn more about later of course they don't mention them here in the in the fact in the in the Q and A, uh, why is the you know why is it so important? Well, they're gonna it's gonna help develop textbooks. They're going to have common comprehensive assessment systems to measure student performance annually. This is gonna replace existing state testing systems. So you thought your state testing systems were bad enough. Those of you who homeschool to try to give your kids the best education possible, nonetheless had to have your child take these state assessments here and there. Now it's going to be a federal, nationwide test. I'm sure we love the idea of big government being in charge of our education. Uh, it's going to be changes who are needed to help support educators and schools in teaching the new standards. So awesome. Uh, who was involved in it? States across the country collaborated with teachers, researchers, and leading experts to design and develop the Common Core. Each state independently made the decision to adopt the standards. The federal government was not involved in the development of the huh. standards. Local teachers, principals, and superintendents led the implementation of the yeah. Common Core. Basically, what they did is they bribed them with federal money. As I understand it, there was a bunch of money, some $4 billion, some odd whatever dollars, in the race to the top program and those states that voluntarily chose to adopt the common core got more of the money and so everyone was in a race to grab on it before they could understand it. And, and here's the thing. What horse? The thing I want to tell you is, and you can just get a little bit of a taste today, this literature that they're spewing out through this website, the common core standards, if you want to read appendices and their, their descriptions and stuff, it's either vague and meaningless or incomprehensible mm -hmm. when they talk about the standards. Trying to even understand what in the world it is that they're advocating for with respect to the you know the standards in English and math and, and everything else because they're starting to talk about social studies and everything. Well, they, the, I think it's purposefully complex language that they're using. I'm trying to remember the, the name of the, the fallacy it's it's a version of appeal to authority. It's I think it's just complex jargon or something like hmm. that. But the, you know the idea that you use this real complex jargon to make your posi position seem authoritative and therefore unassailable. This is being used all over the common yeah, course. And, and they're up to no good, and they have to hide it with every word they say. They have to hide it. They they know they're up to no good. I mean this is and and, and people behind it. The nature of the people behind it. That's all you need to know about about what their purpose is. And they can't say you know, mind wipe. It's mind wipe, a.k.a. Common Core. I mean, that's what it is. 
So then, you know, how do you cite the Common Core standards? What makes this process different from other efforts to create the standards? They say this process is a is state led, and it and it has support from across the country, including CCSSO, the NGA. Oh, they there here achieve achieve is mentioned right. Yeah. So we have CCSSO, the NGA uh, center, then Achieve Incorporated, and Achieve Incorporated is apparently where the influence of one Bill Ayers come to play. Billers. Unrepentant terrorist billers of almost friend for the last twenty years. But don't take any sort of appeal to authority or guilt by association for granted here. What we want to do is we want to look into some of the substance about it. Uh one That's little one one little story I put on the list here at the program notes over at don't let it go dot com, basically for Bosch's benefit is a story about Chris Christie sparring with the GOP about the Common Core. This is a Wall Street Journal article so he's shilling uh, for it. published in August. Well, wait, 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 this, you know what, is shilling for it? Yeah, listen, New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, a Republican who hasn't backed down from fighting with the GOP. One second, one second. Oh, he's so brave. Does, does he ever fight with the uh, Democrat Party? No. Okay. Yeah. He took his fellow party members to task again once again last week when... He said they were wrong for opposing the new education standards. Mr. Christie, speaking at a charter school conference, again, government-funded, government schools, government schools, he's in favor of them. He said that Republicans who opposed education issues such as the Common Core state standards were having a knee-jerk reaction to something the president supports. If the president likes something, the Republicans in Congress don't. And if the Republicans in Congress like something, the president doesn't. He said Thursday. Now, if I was going to yeah, I was, was going to say if I did a real imitation, uh, according to Bosch, I'd have to be chewing with my mouth full and then starting to. Can you, I, the only time he doesn't eat. I've got a piece of chocolate speeches. over here. Should I eat the piece of yeah, chocolate please. and do it? By the way, I do recommend people to look at it's a, it's a top blo- uh, post on my blog, you know, Boston okay, here, here, here's, here's the chocolate. And it's uh, it's called Chris Christie bumper sticker. Check it out. It okay. says. Uh, here I go. It's <laughs> right. If, if, if the president likes something, the Republicans in Congress don't. Oh, man. And if the Republicans in Congress like something, the president doesn't. You know, the problem is I'm trying to chew yeah. and talk with my mouth full and keep a straight face and not laugh and spit the chocolate all over the microphone. And now, okay. Chris Christie is eating as we speak. But mm-hmm. go on. What were you saying? Uh, he continues, it is this mindset in D.C. right now. That says we have to be at war constantly because not to be at war is to show weakness, and to show weakness is to lead to failure. And I just a, don't buy that. He's such a end pig. quote. I mean, you it know really what? Is. I have decided we have to do a story with a quote from Chris Christie every day about halfway through the show, so every time we have a show, so that I can chew something and get <laughs> right. some blood sugar going yes, while good. we do. Okay, perfect. I said, I said Christie 2016 pounds. But anyway, go on. It was chocolate state defiance. He's he's saying over in the chat room he thinks it's donuts. Is it donuts? No. This was lint chocolate. It was it was yummy. And he's just a a fat rat. I mean is what he is. A fat government rat. And you know what? If you want a personification of our government, a personification of our government, it's Chris Christie. Now let's see. Uh one good thing, Senator Rand Paul is one of nine Republican senators who signed a letter asking to limit federal funding for Common Core standards or tests based on the standards. Limit? 
How about eliminate, Senator Paul? That's what I would go for. I'm hoping Uh. that our friend Ted Cruz is one of those people. But really, I just wanted to bring in Chris Christie there and say, look, he's in favor of these nice common core standards, too. Let me tell you a couple things that I know about the substance of it so far, okay? One thing is, I've got the link on my blog. You can download and peruse and have your mind totally numbed by the Common Core English Language Art Appendix A, which is a PDF document you can download on the site. I've got it actually downloaded onto my computer. And the thing you want to flip to, I think it's something like 10 pages into it. Again, I'm talking off the top of my head. I have a decent memory, though. If you look at a chart that talks about, you know, just in general, what are the standards at the different grade levels? Very beginning, in kindergarten, what are the standards for reading in kindergarten? that the students participate in group reading exercises. Group. Yes, yes, collective reading, whatever the hell that means. So the thing you got to know is that at the very beginning, they are shoving your children into groups in order to learn reading. And reading, again, reading is (laughs) an individual mind's encounter with the little characters on the page and and the act of comprehending that those little characters stand for letters and that put together those stand for words and the words stand for concepts to try to extract meaning out of a text. I think that that process would be very distracted by sitting in a group and feeling self-conscious and then the other kid got it before you did or this, you know, he understood that one or he appeared to understand it because he was nodding along with the teacher. Disgusting. Uh, this idea of at the very beginning in kindergarten putting them into groups in order to learn how to read. Very beginning, put a lowest common denominator on everybody. No one's going to make any more progress than anybody else because they're all going to be reading together in groups. So there's that. The other thing that I'll do in terms of substance before we go on to the – I do have a link that says what is wrong with the Common Core, but we'll look at that in a minute. Uh, Daily Caller has a substantive piece that says, here's what kids will read under the Common Core. And I actually got the link to this from the website that is in the prior link at don'tletitgo.com. So the, there is, um, there's a website called Stop Common Core. I think it's stopcommoncore.com or .org or something. And they have a bunch of substantive links about exactly what's in the Common Core and what's wrong with it. So here's this article from the Daily Caller. It's a picture with Obama with children, the way dictators always take pictures with children. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love yeah. that picture. And this was published in May of this year. Article says, with the Common Core national education standards coming under increased scrutiny from conservative activists, Republican politicians, and even teachers' unions. Why? Because they don't want to be held to any standards. Yeah. The Daily Caller News Foundation took a look at the Obama administration's recommended reading list for K-12. to Common Core's English standards stress, and we've talked about this before, stress nonfiction over literature. And if you remember, we had heard before there was a statistic that said 50% have to be so-called informational text. Ugh, right. Mind-numbing, non-story, non-ideas. But get a, get a load of this. By grade 12, <sighs> by grade 12, of what students read should be informational rather than literary. 70%. Think about this. The non-creative minds who are behind this kind of thing want to wipe the minds out. I mean, really, our ability to create our imaginations, wipe them out. 
Now, now supporters Just be cogs, government cogs. Period. That's, that's what that's what you want. should be. Uh, supporters of the guidelines say an increased focus on informational text will better prepare kids for post-college employment. And in the standards themselves, I cannot remember where I saw this. I was trying to skim through this vast bunch of, of jargon and platitudes. In one point, it said that it's going to make kids better able to participate in democracy mm. or whatever. I mean, basically, they want you to be good little people who belong to the state, right? That's what they want to turn everybody into, people who are happy to belong to government. This push of democracy also that word in this country. Even the right does it. Even the Republicans do it. Democracy, democracy. We're, we're not, well, we were never intended to be a democracy. Now, never. Yeah, now listen. Now, what, what the standards supposedly do is they just give you a list of suggested texts. They're just suggestions. And... The teachers are supposed to use these as guidelines to choose texts that are of similar difficulty along various, you know, uh, rubrics and measurements. There's all sorts of criteria for what, you know, it's difficult in this way versus that way. The message is explicit versus implicit, and there's all kinds of other things. Um, my guess is all the different criteria uh, for complexity of reading is going to be too much for teachers to even figure out. You know, is the thing that they would like to assign equally complex along all these different axes or not? So their their brains are going to be cracked. And, and what's the default? The default for a lazy teacher is to take the suggestions and just adopt them wholesale. One, one thing also, sorry, just, just yeah. in one way, they have made schools so discussing that decent conscientious teachers will not will no longer take part in it. They won't. They'll they'll, they'll be quitting going in different different professions. Right. Also Obamacare, uh doctors with a conscience are likely getting the hell out. Those with no conscience are running to be government agents in Obamacare. Same thing with schools. And this is the part of the deal. It's it's like Washington. It's such a hellhole, such a disgusting place that Ted Cruz weren't supposed to be part of it. So he's like a it's like you know what he's the a hell freak. what he's are a you doing here you you don't belong here right you know come on so this is what their institutions are so disgusting by design to keep anyone decent out of it and this part of it I'm sorry yeah yeah so 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 listen to the nature of these suggested texts now now just just think about that though imagine you are a 12th grade English teacher mm. and you are told that you must assign to your students for reading 70 percent has to be informational. Isn't isn't Atlas Shrugged out of the question to assign Absolutely. them twelfth graders what? or even the Fountainhead? It's shorter. What? But if you talk Anthony about even. if you talk about page length and that seventy percent has to be informational, and and if you take into account that plodding through informational text like the ones that they have here, we'll talk about in a moment, is slow, torturous, and Horrible. Which makes there, which makes reading I mean, Matt, so I'm, unappealing. Yeah, and that's why they don't want thinkers. They don't want people. They don't want ideas. In other words. So I'm, I'm I'm sure one of the goals is even though they're not saying well you can't assign the Fountainhead and the Fountainhead essay contest or the Ayn Rand Institute which did me a great service in my life loved being able to do that. Mm. You know, practically speaking, it's going to be very hard for 12th grade English teachers to assign the fountainhead given the restriction of 70% is supposed to be informational rather than literary. Not to mention, you know, 70% in 12th grade, 50% in earlier grades. It's going to make them hate reading. Yes. It's, yes. it's also going to make them, and we've talked about this before, anti, anti-conceptual yep. in the sense that it's just going to bombard them Information. With information, that information, they want, information. What kind of information? And, the kind that the government wants us to have. Yeah. 
that helps them somehow, some way. Well, and, and also and, to make them seem better than they are, to make us so stupid that we actually think they're good. Right. And, and what the Daily Caller says here is that many of the nonfiction texts that are on the suggested list come from government websites and promote the findings of various government agencies. So let's go ahead and go down and see what some of these are. Um, some and, and it's, of course it says some might find the text a bit dry. Well, uh, of course, that's purpose. the whole point. The on whole purpose. point Make is to make it as unappealing as possible. Right. And and again, I think the whole purpose of the write up of the standards is to crack your brain and make yes. you give up before you even start Absolutely trying to understand right. what in the world they're talking about. You know what? About. And since Bill Ayers is, is behind some of this, uh, to really to wipe out your mind, blow it up. Instead of literal bombs, let's make some other kinds. I mean, this is this is it. Wipe our minds out. So thanks to the Daily Caller for finding this list. Here's a few of the recommended informational texts. One is Invasive Plant Inventory by the California Invasive Plant Council. Imagine my tax dollars are going to something called the Invasive Plant Council. It says this is just a list of invasive plant species in California. Well, you just want, have to read a list. Well, hold on. They want us to be plants. That's, that's true. It. I, mean, I mean, that's it. So be a plant. Identify with a plant. Exactly. Be one with a plant while we govern. Shut your mouth and that's it. Just stay in a corner. We'll water you every so often. That's, that's it. right. That's right. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Executive Order 13423. Strengthening Federal Environmental Energy and Transportation Management by the U.S. General Services Administration. Wonderful. Uh, Holly in the chat room says that she's falling asleep just listening to the titles of these things. And I thought Bosch was making them entertaining by telling us uh, what our life as a plant will be like. It's, it's, it's uh, government wonderful. Government plant. Oh, government plant. Government okay. plant. That's true. How about recommended levels of insulation by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency? Insulation from reality? Yeah, it, yeah. Or, yeah, insulation yeah. from reality would be good and, yeah. and beneficial, right? Um, you know, I, I kind of wonder, these particular so-called informational texts, maybe they can do – remember how they used to take records, those of you who are old enough to remember records, and then people would play the records backwards and there would be like yeah. all these subliminal messages? Right. So right. let's look and see if we can find some Ugh. subliminal messages here. So the invasive plant inventory, the messages that you should think of yourself as a plant yes. – Waiting to be watered. Yes. The executive order about you know strengthening environmental energy government and transportation uh, energy and transportation management. Government is strong. You should just feel weak by yes. comparison and give up everything. Recommended levels of insulation. You should insulate yourself <laughs> with reality. Yes. We, the government via Obamacare, will provide you with the Fed, needed drugs that you need to insulate views. yourself from reality. Fed views. Fed no, views. Fed views. That's fed a, views by the that, Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco. They're being yeah. too obvious now. Yeah. The report. Oh, but see, the Federal Reserve is it, it, it's a private <laughs> bank. Uh, yeah. You have to you have to listen to your oh, own Brooks man. podcast on this. But uh, is it, isn't it a private bank? No, uh, it's not. Uh, the report from 2009 says the Daily Caller article explains that the federal stimulus help to stabilize the economy and asserts that there is no link between deficit spending and inflation. Oh, my God. Of course not. And they, they say what? They assert. Okay. Yeah, it well, asserts. That's, that's all they do anyway. Yeah. They assert. Well, you can't provide arguments for no. that crap. No. Oh, says, man, on on the other hand, stuff. fiction reading list does not include many acclaimed time-tested works of literature, such as Ray Bradbury's dystopian novel Fahrenheit 451, which warns of a future society where an authoritarian government has made literature illegal in order to suppress individuality and creativity. They got these ideas, no, I guess, from, from fiction, right? 
from burning books and you know what I mean it's like Iran they they read the books they relate to the villains say okay this is how you do it, guys this is this is how you destroy the the, uh, the country let's go so you know their the, the, their the, idea is to stop the motor of the world and that's it so I've just I've, you know, with no further right, agenda no right. further plan. and what's it's the motor stop. of the the motor of the world as it exists is the human mind yes. and they want to destroy it that's, that, that's their goal clearly what they're going to do here I, if I was assigned those things in school oh man. I, I don't know. I would want to quit. Yes. And uh, again, think about that. Again, I mean this when they do this. They want any conscientious individuals, any any person with a conscience to get the hell out. So they don't have to deal with that kind of messy teacher. They want some slugs. Go in there, listen to us, shut your mouth, teach these kids to be like you, an idiot. Go. That's it. We know, we'll do the important stuff. You'll just get make sure that these kids don't come out of this life, at least intellectually speaking. Now, the, the next thing that I'll call your attention to is the website StopCommonCore.com. And over there, they have a little section, What is Wrong with the Common Core? And the entire write-up here is really just focused on the claims by the people you know who did the Common Core initiative that it was state-led or that it's adopted voluntarily. They say, first of all, Common Core was not developed by the states, but rather by a D.C.-based nonprofit called Achieve Incorporated. Now, remember, that Achieve Incorporated is mentioned on the official Common Core website, but it's put way down in the, in the yeah. bottom of the, of the fact, Hidden. right? It says that it was developed by them under the auspices of the National Governors Association, and the Council of Chief State School Officers. I could just imagine, you know, here you have all, the, all these state governors. I mean, I'm, I'm a JD, PhD. If you give me some of this stuff in this Common Core literature to read and evaluate, I can't understand it. It's like the emperor's new clothes, basically. If you admit that you can't understand some of this stuff because it's written in such complex, indecipherable jargon, then you're admitting that maybe you're not as good as they are or something. You know, again, if there is something in there that's not comprehensible, you have the total right. And, and Leonard Peikoff used to talk about like this all the time, and I think it's in his logic course. He said, you have the total right to ask them to explain it in what he called truck driver's English. Right. You know, right. if, if you really understand something, you should be able to explain it on a variety of levels. And so I think the governors could have, if they were brave enough or whatever, point to the various things and say, what do you mean by Again, complexity along this axis, sorry. et cetera? Again, like Obama speaks, like these rats, right? They, they're they're up to no good. They ha they cannot come out right with what they mean, so they have to go around it in kind of in, in, in incomprehensible jargon. They have to. They cannot come see, out and say these, what they – all these people have PhDs in education, so who are you <laughs> – to question them, I'm, Yeah, right? you're right. You I'm know? just a cartoonist. You're right. That's right. So just just so forget it. We just got to shut up and stop talking. So, you know, you've got the NGA and the CCSSO, and it says neither of those organizations had a grant of legislative authority from the states to develop national standards. And it says, in fact, the Common Core was written by the same progressive education reformers who have been trying to impose a national curriculum for decades. It's, again... They were trying to have socialized medicine for decades. They have a tremendous foot in the door. They have two foot, you know, two feet and both legs in the door with Obamacare. 
And now they are trying to have a national curriculum, and that's what they're doing with the Common Core. It says the United States Department of Education did not create the standards, but it was deeply involved in the effort to gather together the various trade associations and private foundations to do the work. You know, it's like Obama. He wants something done. He calls all the business leaders to Washington to have a meeting with him, and he twists their arm a little bit, you know, and then they do it, and then he says, oh, it's all their idea. You know, we didn't do anything. Then it says, once the Common Core was created, the United States uh, Department of Education persuaded, quote-unquote, the states to adopt it by using the opportunity to get this race to the top funding. No Common Core, no race to the top funding. Since then, they've also attempted to lure states into the Common Core by dangling no child left behind waivers as a reward for adopting the national standards and national and, uh, tests. And who is behind no child left behind? The uh, rock-ribbed Republican conservative George Bush. Right. His administration. And then here's the piece that we were just uh, looking at with respect to Rand Paul and other senators. It says that the U.S. Department of Education is funding the national tests that are being created by two testing consortia. One is called Smarter Balanced and PARC, P-A-R-C-C. Um, and then it says, obviously, what's on the PARC test will dictate what is taught in the state classrooms. In other words, it's going to dictate curriculum. So by funding the tests, the U.S. Department of Education is controlling the curriculum in the states. And this website asserts that that violates three federal statutes, but... Hey, the, what, what what's a violation of a word, federal statute to that's Obama? That's the operative word right? there, controlling. Yeah. That's the operative word. So this is really depressing. You've got somewhere on the in the neighborhood of about 45 states voluntarily adopting this, basically committing cognitive suicide on behalf of for a buck. the citizens and, and their children. For a buck. Yeah, for a buck. Because, you know, hey, they're dangling that money out there, and all the states I mean, are having budget problems. and. You know, what do you expect them to do? And it, Republicans or not. And they say you can get a waiver from the last, you know, federal government education program that was being rolled out, the No Child Left Behind. I think California declared that, you know, we got rid of the No Child Left Behind standards. Aren't we so independent and awesome? And the reason they did it, why? Because they're going to jump in and grab the Common Core. So you think, okay, well, maybe I'll send my kid to private school. Maybe I will homeschool my child and we'll go ahead and you know we'll we'll escape this horribleness so this is where the next article comes in and i suggest you read this entire article i'm just going to give you a little excerpt here but the the headline of the article is and this is from uh what what's it called association for it's accuracy and media yeah accuracy and media.org the headline is Terrorist Professor Bill Ayers and Obama's Federal School Curriculum. And they go through and talk about the ways in which Bill Ayers was connected. And this is uh, earlier in the article. I, I'm not going to scroll up now. I think this is now. payback uh, to Bill Ayers from Obama. Yeah. This, 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 just my thinking. This, this, this is payback. He, he goes, look, I got the White House. You'll get the education. We'll go from there. Okay, good. Yeah. You, you know, you take him out there. I'll take him out here. Yeah, yeah. And and. 
in terms of his actual involvement, I think that they've been careful of to actually keep him <laughs> of out course. of the organization called Achieve and things she's like a, that. He's a stealth terrorist now. He's a yeah. mind terrorist. But he is, I think, a close associate of the woman. She's got a hyphenated last name. I can't remember. Linda something or another. Mm. I can't remember. But she is he's in, in charge of education. He's a close associate of he's hers. He's in on this. And he, and he, he might be the prime mover. Just They can't put his name out there. Right. And then the other thing that happened is that he was invited to speak at a conference at which two prominent people from the Obama administration's Department of Education were there also speaking, and they were rolling out the Common Core. But listen to this. I'm just giving you a, a little excerpt from this very long, very informative article. I, I suggest that you go read it over at accuracyinmedia.org. It says, it doesn't take a conspiracy theorist to realize that Common Core will ultimately dictate the curriculum. It says two consortia of states, SBAC and PARCC, and they have a, a site you can go check out, they've been given $360 million in federal funds to create national Common Core aligned tests and so-called curriculum models. And last I heard is that the, the tests are going to be rolled out in 2014, 2015 after the elections. Of course. It says well-connected companies such as the Educational Testing Service and the multinational textbook company Pearson are in competition to design the test. Then it says David Coleman, a chief architect of the Common Core Standards for English Language Arts, recently was named president of the College Board, which administers tests including those designed by ETS like the SAT. Hmm. He's going to have influence on how the SAT, which governs college admissions for right. the kids, is designed. Yep. So even if you say, okay, well, I'm going to homeschool, and then maybe they'll send them to college and everything, watch out. Yep. Because your, you know, your kids are going to be tested. And, and think about this. Um, the sample texts, you know, the sample informational texts, I'll be damned if things like that are not going to be used as the texts that they have to read and analyze in the SAT in the future and things like that. And so, they can detect the smart kids quickly, and they will try to undercut them quick as well, knock them out, knock out their minds. Well, and, you know, the the other thing, oh, oh Holly in the chat room sat, asks how many million of dollars, $360 million to create tests. Yeah. I think I could create Bunch of yeah, but, cool yeah, tests for three hundred million dollars. What about, about all these you? rats? They live well. All these rats live well. They all get these benefits. They get they get their pools. They get their nice homes. They get everything because they got to get payback from from the scum of the earth in Washington. So look, look, guys, we'll take care of you. Just make sure you take care of this, okay? Now listen to this. The Education Department on August twelfth, two thousand twelve, announced another competition for four hundred million dollars. So again, Holly, hold your hat because it's. $400 million in race to the top funds for local districts to, quote, quote, personalize learning, close achievement gaps, and take full advantage of 21st century tools, end quote. Such a competition cleverly bypasses the recalcitrant states and lures individual districts into the federal web. What do you think? Listen to these terms also, race to the top, achieve. Oh, yeah. It's race to the bottom. Oh, yeah. Non-achieve. I mean, non-achievers. Uh, these are the scum of the earth, and they got to be fought. And again, again, the right is flat-footed. 
They're flat-footed. You got a few people like Glenn Beck and some others trying to push it. This should be Fox News across the board. This should be in everywhere. Every talk show host. Levin hasn't maybe maybe mentioned, but I don't remember too much. Rush Limbaugh. I don't know. I don't know if he is. Well, let me. He let me, has to go after this. Let me tell you one thing. Okay, I'm I'm just barely starting to scratch the surface of this. I know that, but what I'm saying is the big guys, they get these these kind of things way in advance. They ought to, at least. They have a staff of people who look for these type of stories. Where's your staff? It's you. Well, some of their reticence might be, well, they'll say, you know, for for instance, let me tell you, so the common core, they say... They get embedded, and then they go after to fight them. It's, It's too late. Well, but but listen listen to the kind of things that they say. They 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 say the sorts of things that nobody could reasonably argue with. So just just listen. I'm I'm over at the CommonCoreStandards.org, and it's a little site that I read a little bit earlier today, but I didn't post it well, for you. Well, this is their official just, site, right? So yeah, therefore, this, this, it's BS, yeah, this, BS, BS. Well, this is the official site. So so just listen to these platitudes. It says the standards establish a staircase, quote of in, a, a quote-unquote staircase of increasing complexity in what students must be able to read so that all students are ready for the demands of college and career-level reading no later than the end of high school. The standards also require the progressive development of reading comprehension so that students advancing through the grades are able to gain more from whatever they read. Now, who could possibly argue with that, right? Well, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's all rhetoric. It's all BS. It's, it's vague. And then when you actually look, but, no, but you but, know, but to people be who write like that are up to no good. We to navigate that. this site and to find exactly what it is that they're recommending the that be done, like I, like I, I have I've navigated the site a bit, and I didn't find that seventy percent figure yet. Mm-hmm. I've got to dig in and find exactly where this stuff is. So, you know, I, again, kudos to something like the Daily Caller, where they actually say, "Hey, look, here's some of the text that they want to." numb your children's brain with and they want to do 70 percent of the you know the 12th grade curriculum has got to be this garbage so i i think it you know it it takes effort a lot of effort to to dig into this and and you also have to realize the importance of this for the long-term battle i think a lot of talk show hosts are focused on the political level, the legal level, and, and especially just politics, politics, like and party politics. And that's what they're getting by them with this, you know, and the the big voices on the right are getting, you know, they're not paying attention. This is a major, major threat to our future, major threat, and they should be attacking it. They should be talking about it. They should be, you know, putting it on the airwaves as big, as loud as they possibly can. It has to be fought. I mean, this is, to, to them, this is going to end us. Once they get to our minds in this way, in this capacity, it's over. And it will be over. I think the, the majority of us here. Then, then you have, what, a few individuals fighting the the good fights and where? Underground? No. I mean, you know, the bottom line is, is that government should not be in control yes. of education. Fundamentally, yeah. We need to get government completely out of the schools. Now, if you're going to have any level of government in the schools, at least you'd rather have your local government be in charge of the school because you could have some influence by getting involved in the PTA or the local school board or whatever, you know, level you choose to insert yourself. So maybe you could at least have some control over what's going on at the local level. Once the states start taking control, if you especially if you live in a big state, it gets a lot harder. And when the federal government essentially dictates curriculum from the top down via something like the Common Core, oh, it's voluntarily adopted by the states, BS. 
I think about it so. They, know, no, but, but they, so they still think it's important to say that. They still think to, that it's important to, to, to express that there's some autonomy still left. You know, they are enemies of autonomy, but they still want to bring that up to, to pretend that yeah, people chose to do this. People chose to slit their own throats. I, I mean, to accept a common core. You know, that's what they're saying. They're, so they will use these things that we all agree on in order to get a bias, which which is what this website does. That's exactly what they're doing. I mean, so it's just, let's, um, if you're interested in seeing some people who are doing some serious scholarly work and, and also some activism about the Common Core, I refer you to Cato. I'm really excited to have discovered this. Hat tip to listener Ed Maslish out there who uh, gave me a link to some of this stuff. First of all, there's an article, and this article actually isn't published by Cato directly. Uh, it's a little website called One News Now. I guess they're Christian, but it's it's basically just reporting on some quotes from a Cato spokesman. The headline is, More States backtracking on Common Core, says Cato spokesman. And what was so, this so remember, this October 1st. Yeah, this is October 1st. This is recent news, so this okay, is, this is okay. good news. We're gonna, excellent, we, excellent. We, we are going to end our show with some good news today here, so I, I don't want to so totally depress you. And I, I think <laughs> the good news is, too, that we're starting to dig into this Common Core and that we're going to raise awareness no, of look, it. So look, let's, I, look I, I just learned about this recently also. I'm not going to say, you idiots, you know, you know like people who just learn something, they bash people over head, but what I'm saying is there are people out there who look out for everything here. They have the staff in, in the who knows, dozens, uh, hundreds. They got to talk about this. Rush Limbaugh has to take it on. He can't wait. You know, this is how Hollywood was taken over. This is how the government was taken Maybe over. Maybe some of them listen to my show and they'll start doing Please. it too. That would be wonderful. But here's Cato. Bravo to Cato. Uh, let, let's just go to this one thing, you know, states backtracking on it. Remember what the states did, right? They were offered this race to the top funding, probably before they even saw what the Common Core standards were. Yeah, they're and they're for, like, for yeah, 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 give us money, give <laughs> us money, give us money. So now they're what backtracking and, and they're saying, no, may, you know, maybe I don't want that money after all. I don't want the deal with the devil. So there's a little pushback. Yeah. So it says, in a move that could further curtail the efforts of Common Core implementation, Florida's governor is halting the state's role in the multi-state testing system for the Common Core. Governor Rick Scott, bravo, bravo, is stopping participation in the Partnership for Assessment of Readiness for College and Careers. Can you repeat that again? Yeah, say it ten times fast. Uh, The Partnership for Assessment of Readiness of College and Careers. One of the two assessment consortiums for the Core. Isn't it consortia? I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Neil McCluskey of the of the Cato Institute, I guess he's a prime mover over there, he says that testing is one of the three legs necessary for the core to stand, likening it to a tripod mm. that includes the Common Core standards and tests. He says if you get rid of these tests, then commonality is all out of the window. And he says that about a half a dozen states so far are withdrawing wow. from participation in core testing. Bravo to Excellent. them. Evidence that American sense of life is alive and well, at least in some states. Now, you know, here's the thing. I was talking on the show yesterday, Tammy Bruce's show, when I was guesting about this idea of figuring out where in the United States you would want to live, which states are the freest, and they have freedom in the 50states.org, and they always talk about regulation and economic freedom. I would say that personally for me, one criterion, and it doesn't matter whether you are a parent or somebody who wants to hire future generations of young kids for your business – I would say whether a state participates in the Common Core should be a huge element in your choice here. We've got half a dozen states who are withdrawing from participation in the core testing. Bravo to them. Excellent. 
McCluskey from Cato says that other states yet to withdraw are taking note of Florida's decision not to participate. He names two states, Louisiana and Wisconsin. We'll get to Wisconsin in a second, where the governors are second-guessing participation in the course. So I think more than half a dozen, maybe eight in the future will withdraw. Says McCluskey and the Cato Institute are hosting, quote, Common Core of the Great Debate, Thursday, October 3rd at noon Eastern time. Of course, I missed it yesterday because I was posting for Tammy Bruce. And there is the next next link on my blog at DontLetItGo.com is a link to a recording of this great debate about the Common Core at Cato. For me, it's assigned reading or assigned watching. I think I'm going to try to watch it tonight instead of whatever sitcom I might have enjoyed. And because I think it's essential. And I think I respect Cato as providing serious scholarship on on this issue. So definitely check that out. Cato, Common Core, the great debate. I have the link over at my blog at DontLetItGo.com and watch them debate whether or not we should implement the Common Core around the country. One final awesome thing that I wanted to get to before we go. Let's see what we got going in in the chat room, and then we'll go ahead and do it. State Defiance is already checking out on us. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Dude, that's not very nice. Um, He defied us. Holly is relieved that some of the states are backing off this. Yes, me too. I didn't know about it, so I really got a nice punch. Juji Fruit says that she's got a California teaching credentials so that she knows some of the stuff about this. I'd, I'd like to know if you are familiar, if you're actually working uh, in the teaching industry, so to speak, what the effect on you and, and, and your job performance is. <laughs> Robert NYC says, Leonard Peikoff's writing class live in 30 minutes. Yes, but not exactly 30 <laughs> minutes. I would say 35 minutes yeah, according yeah, yeah. To, uh, to my clock here so you can hang out. Uh, Juji Fruit is making fun of me for watching sitcoms. Actually, I think I watched only one sitcom. Yeah. And that is Modern Family. Modern Family. Which I really enjoy. I like the writing. I like the way oh, that a funny. theme is integrated the across families. the various relationships and the different branches of the that family. That might be the only one, actually. <laughs> Robert NYC says he's, he's got to dial in, get set up, and all that. You know, Robert, when I do this show, right, and I have to set up, the, all the connection and everything for the Blog Talk Radio show. I'm allowed to dial into the switchboard only 15 minutes before the show. I think that would make you very nervous if you, you know, dialing into a classroom. You've, you've got to take a half hour. Of course, I understand first day could be glitches and stuff, but hopefully I'll be able to to see you there, Robert NYC, virtually, because I'm going to dial in as well. I'm, I'm looking forward to that because you can always learn a lot about writing from him. But um, let's see what else we got here in <laughs> State Defiance is glad that we at least have some good news to, to end up here. Yes. Yeah, I, bravo. I, you know, again, the, the bravo on two fronts. The states who are brave enough to reject these common testing standards. But but again, you know, even if the states themselves are saying, no, we're not going to participate, what we learned from that other article that was at, what is it? Is it uh, AIM? Yeah, AIM.org. They said that the education department is reaching out directly to the local governments and trying to bypass the states and rope them in. So we'll we'll have to follow this story and, and see how it goes. But, yes, definitely good news. Better news even still is that Cato has a Center for Educational Freedom, I think is what it's called, and they are on the case. They are doing some work on this. So I'm, I'm really glad to see that, and bravo to them. Let's go ahead and end with even more good news, and it's about the state of Wisconsin. Many of you have 
uh, followed the stories this week about Obama trying to make this shutdown as painful mm-hmm. as possible for right. Americans and especially kind of doing it in a very visible right. way. And the most visible way is to shut down the national parks and national monuments. From what I've heard in prior shutdowns... Sorry, places that probably Obama has never visited, but go on. <laughs> I've heard that in prior shutdowns, these places have stayed open, but Obama has gone so far to erect what they're calling barricades because of Barack Barry. Hmm. Um, barricades and keep out World War II veterans yep. from memorials in Washington, D.C. I mean, this is crazy stuff, right? Sick. So I like this the, the headline of this hot air piece. Hmm that I linked to over my blog. It says, Scott Walker to the National Parks Service, pound sand. (laughs) Governor Scott Walker isn't a fan of the government shutdown and has taken more of the pox on both houses approach to criticism of it. However, he's really not a fan of the Washington Monument strategy. And when the National Parks Service tried to get Wisconsin to shut down shared areas, Walker's administration told them to pound sand. State Department of Natural Resources on Wednesday refused a directive from the National Park Service to host to close a host of popular state properties because of the federal government shutdown. Um, so I think that is wonderful, yeah. good for Scott Walker, yeah. and I hope that they also come around on the Common Core because that's even more important yes, than not letting Obama have his way. Now we've got about 50 seconds or so. So what this is where I tell you. If you want to comment on today's show, go over to my blog at DontLetItGo.com. Also at DontLetItGo.com, you can find the program notes for today's show, including that important debate from Cato. Go watch it, go watch it, go watch it. And all the different ways. There's links to all the different ways to stay in touch with me during the week. You can subscribe to the blog, and every so often I send a missive out, and you can get a notification when that comes about as well. So do that. Check out Bosch's blog at Foston.blogspot.com. He's always sending missives out there and a lot of clever stuff and some great drawings and everything else, so check that out, too. Follow us both on Twitter, Amy Peekoff, Bosch Faustin. Most importantly, if you like the program, spread the word. Have a great weekend, everyone. Take care.